Chapter Twenty Six of the Triumph of the Scarlet Pimpernel by Emma Orsi. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Triumph of the Scarlet Pimpernel by Emma Orsi. Chapter Twenty Six: A Dream. Chauvelin had not yet regained full possession of his faculties when a few seconds later he saw Theresia Cabarrus glide swiftly across the antechamber. She appeared to him like a ghost a pixie who had found her way through a keyhole. But she threw him a glance of contempt that was very human, very feminine indeed, and the next moment she was gone. Outside on the landing she paused. Straining her ears, she caught the sound of a firm footfall slowly descending the stairs. She ran down a few steps, then called softly, Milor. The footsteps paused, and a pleasant voice gave quiet reply. At your service, fair lady. Theresia, shrewd as well as brave, continued to descend. She was not in the least afraid. Instinct had told her before now that no woman need ever have the slightest fear of that elegant milor with the quaint laugh and gentle mocking mien, whom she had learned to know over in England. Midway down the stairs she came face to face with him, and when she paused, panting, a little breathless with excitement, she said with perfect courtesy, You did me the honour to call me, madame? Yes, milor, she replied in quick, eager whisper. I heard every word that passed between you and Citizen Chauvelin. Of course you did, dear lady, he rejoined with a smile. If a woman once resisted the temptation of putting a shell-like ear to a keyhole, the world would lose many a cause for entertainment. That letter, milor, she broke in impatiently. Which letter, madame? That insulting letter to me, when you took Moncrief away. You never wrote it. Did you really think that I did? he retorted. No, I ought to have guessed the moment that i saw you in england and realized that i was not a cad what oh milor she protested but why why did you not tell me before it had escaped my memory and if i remember rightly you spent most of the time when i had the honour of walking with you in giving me elaborate and interesting accounts of your difficulties and i in listening to them oh she exclaimed vehemently i hate that man i hate him in truth he is not a lovable personality but by your leave i presume that you did not desire to speak with me so that we might discuss our friend chauvelin's amiable qualities no no milor she rejoined quickly i called to you because then she paused for a moment or two as if to collect her thoughts her eager eyes strove to pierce the gloom that enveloped the figure of the bold adventurer she could only see the dim outline of his powerful figure the light from above striking on his smooth hair the elegantly tied bow at the nape of his neck the exquisite filmy lace at his throat and wrists. His head was slightly bent, one arm in a curve supported his chapeau bras. His whole attitude was one befitting a salon rather than this dank hovel, where death was even now at his elbow. It was as cool and unperturbed as it had been on that May Day evening in the hawthorn-scented lanes of Kent. Milor, she said abruptly, you told me once, you remember, that you were what you English call a sportsman is that so i hope always to remain that dear lady he replied with a smile does that mean she queried with a pretty air of deference and hesitation does that mean a man who would under no circumstances harm a woman i think so now even if she if she has sinned transgressed against him i don't quite understand madame he rejoined simply and time being short are you perchance speaking of yourself yes I have done you an injury, milor. A very great one indeed, he assented gravely. 
could you she pleaded rising earnest tear-filled eyes to his could you bring yourself to believe that i have been nothing but a miserable innocent tool so was the lady upstairs innocent madame he broke in quietly i know she retorted with a sigh i know i would never dare to plead as you must hate me so he shrugged his shoulders with an air of carelessness oh he said does a man ever hate a pretty woman he forgives her milor she entreated if he is a true sportsman indeed you astonish me dear lady but in verity you all in this unhappy country are full of surprises for a plain blunt-headed britisher now what i wonder he added with a light good-humoured laugh would my forgiveness be worth to you everything she replied earnestly i was deceived by that abominable liar who knew how to play upon a woman's peak i am ashamed wretched oh cannot you believe me and i would give worlds to atone he laughed in his quiet gently ironical way you do not happen to possess worlds dear lady all that you have is youth and beauty and ambition and life you would forfeit all those treasures if you really tried to atone but lady blakeney is a prisoner you are her jailer her precious life is the hostage for yours milor she murmured from my heart i wish you well fair one he broke in lightly believe me the pagan gods that fashioned you did not design you for tragedy and if you ran counter to your friend chauvelin's desires i fear me that that pretty neck of yours would suffer a thing to be avoided at all costs and now he added have i your permission to go my position here is somewhat precarious and for the next four days i cannot afford the luxury of entertaining so fine a lady by running my head into a noose he was on the point of going when she placed a restraining hand upon his arm milor she pleaded at your service dear lady is there not i can do for you he looked at her for a moment or two and even through the gloom she caught his quizzical look and the mocking lines around his firm lips you can ask lady blakeney to forgive you he said with a thought more seriousness than was habitual to him she is an angel she might do it and if she does she will know what to do to convey her thoughts to me nay but i'll do more than that milor theresia continued excitedly i will tell her that i shall pray night and day for your deliverance and hers i will tell her that i have seen you and that you are well ah if you did that he exclaimed almost involuntarily you would forgive me too she pleaded i would do more than that fair one i would make you queen of france in all but name what do you mean she murmured that i would then redeem the promise which i made to you that evening in the lane outside dover do you remember she made no reply closed her eyes and her vivid fancy rendered doubly keen by the mystery which seemed to encompass him as with a supernatural mantle conjured up the vision of that unforgettable evening the moonlight the scent of the hawthorn the call of the thrush she saw him stooping before her and kissing her finger-tips even whilst her ears recalled every word he had spoken and every inflection of his mocking voice let me rather put it differently dear lady he said then one day the exquisite Theresia cabarou the egeria of the terrorists the fiance of the great talion might need the help of the league of the scarlet pimpernel and she angered piqued by his coolness thirsting for revenge for the insult which she believed he had put upon her had then protested earnestly i would sooner die she had boldly asserted then seek your help milor and now at this hour here in this house where death lurked in every corner she could still hear his retort here in dover perhaps 
but in France? How right he had been! How right! She, who had thought herself so strong, so powerful, what was she indeed but a miserable tool in the hands of men who would break her without scruple if she ran counter to their will? Remorse was not for her, atonement too great a luxury for a tool of Chauvelin to indulge in. The black, hideous taint, the sin of having dragged this splendid man and that innocent woman to their death, must rest upon her soul forever. Even now she was jeopardizing his life every moment that she kept him talking in this house. And yet the impulse to speak with him, to hear him say a word of forgiveness, had been unconquerable. One moment she longed for him to go, the next she would have sacrificed much to keep him by her side. When he had wished to go, she held him back. Now that, with his wanted careless disregard of danger, he appeared willing to linger, she sought for the right words wherewith to bid him go. He seemed to divine her thoughts, remained quite still while she stood there with eyes closed, in one brief second reviewing the past. Oh, it all came back to her, her challenge to him, his laughing retort. You mean, she said at parting, that you would risk your life to save mine. I should not risk my life, dear lady, he had said with his puzzling smile. But I should. God help me, do my best, if the need arose, to save yours. Then he had gone, and she had stood under the porch of the quaint old English inn, and watched his splendid figure as it disappeared down the street. She had watched, puzzled, uncomprehending, her heart already stirred by that sweet, sad ache which at this hour brought tears to her eyes, the aching sorrow of that which could never, never be. Ah, if it had been her good fortune to have come across such a man, to have aroused in him that admiration for herself which she so scored in others, how different, how very different would life have been! And she fell to envying the poor prisoner upstairs, who owned the most precious treasure life can offer to any woman the love of a fine man. Two hot tears came slowly through her closed eyes, coursing down her cheeks. "'Why so sad, dear lady?' he asked gently. She could not speak for a moment, only murmured vaguely. Four days.' Four days,' he retorted gaily. "'As you say. In four days either I or a pack of assassins will be dead.' "'Oh, what will become of me?' she sighed. "'Whatever you choose.' "'You are bold, milord.' she rejoined more calmly and you are brave alas what can you do when the most powerful hands in france are against you smite them dear lady he replied airily smite them then turn my back upon this fair land it will no longer have need of me then he made her a courteous bow may i have the honour of escorting you upstairs your friend monsieur chauvelin will be awaiting you the name of her taskmaster brought theresia back to the realities of life gone was the dream of a while ago when subconsciously her mind had dwelt upon a sweet might have been the man was nothing to her less than nothing a common spy so her friends averred even if he had not presumed to write her an insulting letter he was still the enemy the foe whose hand was raised against her own country and against those with whose fortunes she had thrown in her lot even now she ought to be calling loudly for help, rouse the house with her cries, so that this spy, this enemy, might be brought down before her eyes. Instead of which she felt her heart beating with apprehension, 
lest his quiet, even voice be heard on the floor above, and he be caught in the snare which those who feared and hated him had laid for him. Indeed, she appeared far more conscious of danger than he did, and while she chided herself for her folly in having called to him, he was standing before her as if he were in a drawing-room, holding out his arm to escort her into dinner. His foot was on the step, ready to ascend, even whilst Theresia's straining ears caught the sound of other footsteps up above, footsteps of men, real men, those, who were set up there to watch for the coming of the Scarlet Pimpernel, and whose vigilance had been spurred by promise of reward and by threat of death. She pushed his arm aside, almost roughly. "'You are mad, milor,' she said in a choked murmur. "'Such foolhardiness, when your life is in deadly jeopardy, becomes criminal folly.' the best of life he said airily is folly i would not miss this moment for a kingdom she felt like a creature under a spell he took her hand and drew it through his arm she went up the steps beside him every moment she thought that one or more of the soldiers would be coming down or that chauvelin impatient at her absence might step out upon the landing the dank murky air seemed alive with ominous whisperings of stealthy treads upon the stone Theresia dared not look behind her, fearful lest the grim presence of death itself be suddenly made manifest before her. On the landing he took leave of her, stooped and kissed her hand. "'Why, how cold it is!' he remarked with a smile. He was perfectly steady and warm. The very feel of it seemed to give her strength. She raised her eyes to his. "'Milor,' she entreated, "'on my knees I beg of you not to toy with your life any longer.' toy with my life he retorted gaily nothing is further from my thoughts you must know that every second which you spend in this house is fraught with the greatest possible danger danger ne'er a bit dear lady i am no longer in danger now that you are my friend the next moment he was gone for a while theresia's straining ears still caught the sound of his form footfall upon the stone steps then all was still and she was left wondering if, in very truth, the last few minutes on the dark stairs had not all been part of a dream. End of chapter 26